Hi, I'm Brad. I'm the senior pastor here, and there's no place I'd rather be right now. I'm so glad to see you all. And I'm going to preach. That's usually what happens. This week I read an article in Psychology Today that suggested we have a self-esteem problem in the United States. But it also said we don't recognize it because, well, we have a self-esteem problem in the United States. Uh, Jim Taylor wrote the article, and he argues that we have misunderstood and misapplied the concepts of self-esteem. Namely, he says that we have believed that we can talk people into having higher self-esteem by the practice of praising people no matter what they do or no matter what result they get. Quote, experts told parents that they could build their children's self-esteem by telling them how smart and talented and beautiful and incredible they were. Quote, you're the best, Johnny. In other words, parents were led to believe that they could convince their children how wonderful they were. Unfortunately, life has a way of providing a reality check and children learn the hard way that they weren't as fabulous as their parents told them they were. Parents were also told to praise and reinforce and reward their children no matter what they did. The result? Lower self-esteem. So if I understand the article, Taylor is arguing that self-esteem that is not based on something tangible and real is not self-esteem at all, and that it falls apart when life deals hard or disappointing blows. Isn't that interesting? So, a question I want to ask today is how can we build a personal sense of value that's deep and real and built on something that can really last, especially when things don't work out? And so today we're looking at another unlikely hero in the Bible that we get to watch go through this experience, the experience of having an altogether, altogether too high of an opinion of himself and what happens when he fails miserably. Uh, he's so unlikely a hero because he fails on such an epic scale. But Jesus helps him through it. And there are amazing results in the end. Does that sound interesting? Yeah? yeah? All right. I'm going to preach right over to this. Right, anyway. <laughs> Let me read the passage. You may have heard it before. Actually, I'm going to start a little back uh, in uh, the story from where we're going to focus most of our time today. This is more like the setup. Uh, and this is Jesus talking in Matthew chapter 26. He says, This very night you will all fall away on account of me. For it is written, I will, strike the, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I've risen, I will go ahead of you to Galilee. So this is Jesus on the night before his crucifixion. And he says, look, this is going to happen. And then Peter replied, even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. Truly I tell you, Jesus answered, this very night before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. But Peter declared, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the other disciples said the same. So it wasn't just Peter, but Peter was the most out there. So Peter tells Jesus straight up, you are wrong. I know better than you. I will never disown you. But as most of us know, as the story goes, Peter was horribly wrong. Peter actually denies that he knows Jesus three times. The last time... To Jesus' face. 
So where do you go from there? So today we'll see the aftermath of what you might call this overinflated self-esteem, perhaps, that Peter had, or some people might call it pride. And we'll also see, though, how the love of Jesus can sustain us in these times and actually fuel our lives, even in our lowest moments. So let's read the story of Peter. This is after Jesus' resurrection, uh, told by uh, John, chapter 1. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the other side of the boat and you'll find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple, whom Jesus loved, said to Peter, it's the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garments around him, for he'd taken it off, and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about a hundred yards. And when they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you've caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged out the nets ashore. It was full of large fish, about 153 but even with so many, the nets were not torn. And Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. And none of them dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread and gave it to them, did the same with the fish. And this was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. And when they'd finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him a third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted But when you're old, you'll stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you to where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death which Peter would glorify God. And then he said to him, follow me. All right. So here we have Jesus. Here we have Peter. And this is Peter getting reacquainted with Jesus after denying him not just three times, but one time, the final time, to his face. And I think there's some things we can learn from this that are actually be extremely encouraging to us in the moments in our lives when we feel like we've fallen down, we've failed. And the first is this, and this is encouraging. It doesn't sound like it at first, but it is. Jesus will challenge our pride. However you understand pride, our overinflated sense of who we are, not that we don't have value, but we see ourselves as smarter, stronger, uh, not needing to be dependent on anyone or anything else. Not always in our whole life, but just sometimes in areas. And Jesus will challenge that. And what I'm arguing today is that we need this. 
Notice what Jesus does with Peter. He basically walks Peter through the greatest failure of his life. Did you notice that? So Jesus brings Peter back to a similar setting to where he had denied Jesus. So when Peter denied Jesus, everyone was standing around a fire. So Jesus calls his disciples back to join him around the fire. Then Jesus reminds him of the content of his denial. And he says, do you love me more than these? Remember last time he denied even knowing him. And then he reminds Peter of the form of his failure. So he asks the question three times, do you love me? So in setting, in content, and in form, Jesus takes Peter right back to where he was at his most spectacular moment of failure. And what I think this is, is the end of denial for Peter. If you know know the story of Peter, um, he sort of has this up-down pattern. There's a lot written about Peter Peter in the life of Jesus and the story of his life. And he is like, awesome in that he's the first to dive in, uh, but he's also sort of like the first to fail in a lot of ways too. And Jesus is always with him, always picking him out of the water when he's sinking. But here I think this is a bigger moment. I think there's no more denial for Peter. I think he's connecting here, not to the idea that he's a bad person, but just the idea that he's imperfect and he needs more than what he has on his own. It's a super reality check. There's no, like, number one disciple ribbon for Peter just for playing the game. And when you hear this story, you may think, man, Jesus is kind of like twisting the knife here, you know? He asked him three times. And you know what? He kind of is. Whatever pride Peter has, whatever ways he thinks that he knows better than Jesus are being challenged. And Jesus is sticking the knife in here. But here's the thing. It's not a blunt force object. He's not taking a machete and going after Peter's heart. It's more like a surgeon's scalpel. And it's a good thing. You see, it's it's not that Jesus wants to put Peter in his place. That's not what this is about. But here's what I like us to think about. When we have an inflated view of ourselves, it leads to other things in our lives. We're not as good at being husbands or wives or parents or friends. I believe our, we live an emptier existence. We have shallower relationships. I think pride takes away our ability to be vulnerable, to be honest about our weaknesses. And right along with that, It means we have less grace for other people because we're out of touch with our own need. Left unchallenged, we become judgmental. Notice what Peter said. He said, everyone else might turn away. Those weaklings. Those people who don't get it like I get it. But I won't. Pride keeps us from happy, engaged, full, and healthy relationships and lives. It needs to be challenged. It needs to be cut out. And to challenge pride in our lives, it's not easy. And it's scary to return to reality and realize that in some ways we failed. 
that in many ways we aren't enough on our own. We need help. That's kind of a hard pill to swallow. And it can shake the foundations of how we view ourselves and the world. But I think what we see from this passage is that when we're most aware of our failures, that's when Jesus is nearest to us. Jesus will sustain us in our failures. Another major theme of this passage is that in our lowest points of life, God will not put us down or give up on us. Remember that everyone in this passage that interacts with Jesus has let him down in a major way. All of his disciples, not just Peter, abandon him when he's arrested. They're all scattered. Yet here Jesus is approaching them, having a meal with them, investing in them still. And with Peter, even as Jesus reminds him of his failure, he affirms his future. Do you notice what he said? He said, feed my lambs. That's the first thing he says. Take care of my sheep. And then again, feed my sheep. It's like Jesus saying, all right, you failed, but I'm putting you in charge. You failed, but you're going to be a great leader. You failed, but I trust you more than anyone else to lead this movement. And then in verse 18, he says, Very truly, I tell you, when, you're young, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and you went where you wanted. But when you're old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. He's telling Peter, I know you failed in the past, not just once, but you're going to be faithful to the end. See, Jesus isn't in the business of tearing people down. He may challenge our pride, but his aim is to see us become everything he knows that we can be. And he's saying, look, Peter, I know you blew it. I know you felt like nothing afterwards, too, because the story says he went out and he wept. But I'm telling you, you're going to be there in the end. This isn't the end of your story. You're not a failure, and you're going to persevere even to your own death. In Isaiah 42, in a scripture that Christians apply to Jesus as a prophecy of the Messiah, it says, A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. A smoldering wick. Maybe this is a season in your life where you feel like a smoldering wick. Whatever the reason, maybe it's something at home, Maybe it's something at work. Maybe it's a relationship or a major disappointment. Maybe it feels like it's everything in life in general. Let me just suggest this. One thing that is encouraging about this passage is that it suggests that you are in a good place. That's a good place to be. This is a place where Jesus can come to you and speak life to you in ways that you can truly understand it. You know, it's, it's hard to take in the words of Jesus when you don't really need them. When they're more sort of supplemental to your life. 
they're nice things to keep in mind. But when you're a smoldering wick, when you're in touch with the reality of your need, they're words of life. They sustain you. And this presence, especially in times when we're most aware of our failures, puts us in touch with something else. And here's the next thing. We can experience authentic love. Now let me ask you something. Why does Peter jump out of the boat? They're not far from shore, it says. Why not just ride the boat to shore like everyone else does? And I I just simply think the answer is that Peter jumped out of the boat because he was so happy to see Jesus. You remember that movie from the 90s, Forrest Gump? I know it's a love-hate movie. I'm not promoting or downgrading it. I don't care whether you love it or not. But there's a scene when Lieutenant Dan, Gump's friend from the, from the war, shows up on the dock. And even though Forrest Gump, brilliant man that he is, is floating along, driving his shrimp and boat, sees him, and he just lets the boat go, dives in the water, and swims to see his friend. Because he's so happy to see him. I think Peter is showing us some of that. And I'm pointing this out because Peter could have had, and it would have been reasonable for him to have, all sorts of different reactions when he saw Jesus on the beach. In fact, this whole miracle that happens where they throw the net over the side of the boat and they catch a miraculous amount of fish, that actually happened before. The first time that Jesus met Peter, they'd been up all night. They'd been fishing and caught nothing. And Jesus said, throw your nets on the other side. And you know what? They did it. And they had this miraculous catch. But for those of you who don't know the story or, or, or those that do, do you remember how Peter responded then? Get away from me, for I'm a sinful man. That's what Peter said. Now, after about three years spent with Jesus, he jumps out of the boat to get to him as fast as he can. The opposite of get away from me. He's trying to get to him. What's changed? I think Peter has experienced authentic love from Jesus. He's already been loved for who he really is. By Jesus, in all of his weakness, with all of his weakness acknowledged. There's another point where Jesus has strong words for him. Get behind me, Satan, he says to Peter at one point. So Peter's had other moments where he's blown it. Where Jesus called him Satan once. But always loved him. Always support him, always backed him up, always was there for him. So this love that Peter has experienced is based in reality. Where Jesus acknowledges his shortcomings. You didn't win here, Peter. You're not getting a ribbon. But I could never love you any more than I love you right now. You see the difference? Reality and love together. Not some 
I don't, what's the opposite of reality? Fanciful blibbity blue combined. <laughs> you know what I mean? He loves the real Peter with all of his faults. Acknowledging those faults and continuing to be there to be present in love. That communicates value to Peter in a way that all the praise when he messes up would never. It's a love that will not break a bruised reed or snuff out a smoldering wick. If you never acknowledge your smoldering wick, you'll never experience that type of love. And this is what can replace pride in our lives if we want to follow Jesus. This experienced reality of being truly, really, and authentically loved can fill, empower, and fuel life in a way that pride simply can't. Authentic love can fuel our lives. Propped up self-esteem actually eventually pops or leaves us feeling unsteady, like everything could collapse because it's not built on anything real. In this passage, Jesus is setting Peter up for a lifetime of leading the church. And before calling to Peter to lead the church, Jesus asked him, do you love me? It's the experienced love between Jesus and Peter that's going to fuel his life. As we just saw, it's the experience of authentic love of Jesus that continues to call Peter into the presence of Jesus. In a similar way, it's the overflow of this deep knowing and experience of real and authentic love based in reality that enables Peter to not only love Jesus, but to have the love to lead others, serving or feeding them, as Jesus asks him. Authentic love is the foundation for healthy leadership and lives in general. And without it, we become manipulators, hoping to use others to feed or find a sense of wholeness. And sometimes this leads people into wanting positions of leadership to prop themselves up. And this is what we saw earlier in the life of Peter, if you read his whole story. But also throughout the whole story, we see that he's hoping, working for, trying to position himself so that he can have the greatest position in Jesus' kingdom. And again and again, Jesus is trying to get him to see the world in a new way. Peter's approach of peace, wellness, and well-being through position won't work. It's really just an expression of his own pride. What he needs is to recognize his failure and dive headfirst into the sea of God's grace. And then from this place, he can be free to lead, but not in a way where he uses those he leads to fill a hole in him, but in an authentic way where he serves the people he's leading. Feed my sheep, love them authentically as I've loved you by serving them in vulnerability and not because they deserve it or can give you anything. But this only happens as we have a reality check. We find Jesus in our failures we experience his grace and look to that to fuel our lives. And this doesn't have to happen 
exclusively in the low times of our life. It's more difficult to stay connected to this, but we can choose to humble ourselves, which is an odd idea, right? But this is where it comes from. You've probably heard other scriptures that say, humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and he'll lift you up. Maybe some of you have sung songs about that. Something you can do. So let me ask you a couple questions that might help with this. Who's the one person in your life that can give nothing to you? In other words, by serving them, you have nothing to gain. What can you do for them this week to serve them? Just because you know that you've received freely from God, so freely give. Maybe you've been looking into this idea of following Jesus for a while, but you're holding back and it's, it's connected to a pride thing. You don't want to need God. But today, and really probably over the last several months, you've been realizing that it's not going to work. You do need God. And you need Jesus, and somehow now you know it. Today, during our prayer ministry time, I would encourage you just to talk to one of our prayer team members. Tell them you want to follow Jesus, and in a new way, want to commit to that. They'll, they'll talk to you, they'll pray with you. Or maybe, and this is common for a lot of us, you just need to experience some authentic love this week. Maybe you need to hear the voice of God reaffirming to you, I could never love you more than I love you right now. Even in the middle of whatever disappointment, whatever brokenness, whatever mistakes you made. Right here, right now. I can never love you more. Let someone pray for you. Prayer team will be in the prayer alcove during the musical worship. Um, And you can come to prayer to celebrate something, but you can also come to receive. Let's pray. So, wow, Jesus, it's kind of daunting to... (laughs) preach a sermon about humility. Um, And so I confess my own need and my felt failures. And I pray for myself and for everyone gathered here that what we see happening in the life of Peter we could experience in our lives. Of your embrace, your challenge, and your love. Open our hearts right now that even as we sing songs to you and about you, that your spirit would be here with us, making these things real in a tangible way. In Jesus' name, amen.